Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part two of a conversation that Dominique started by asking a question about cues and rules. She's been intrigued by the incredibly subtle discriminations that animals are able to make. So at the start of the conversation, she said she wanted to talk about cues and the rules that trainers create around them to bring some consistency to their training. I wasn't sure of the context in which she was using the term, so her starting point for the conversation raised some questions for me. So we plunged down a rabbit hole into a great discussion of cues and rules and teaching procedures uh, and teaching processes and principles. What's the distinction? This brought us inevitably, because all roads these days seem to lead this way, it brought us to a discussion of loopy training and constructional training. And that's where we're going to be picking up as we begin again. This conversation is going to take us to some really useful clarifications that I think will help to bring a great deal of consistency both to the way we think about training and also some consistency in the way we present our training requests to our to our learners. So enjoy, and here we go, back down the rabbit hole. You know, the, the teaching process that I have gravitated to is we refer to as the loopy training, and it sits in the, under the umbrella of constructional training. So we're really looking at this, and the, and the constructional training is such a useful uh, way of looking at it because you're saying, I'm not focused on what I don't like. You know, I'm not trying to suppress behavior. I'm not focused on the um, unwanted behavior. But what I'm really focused on is what I want my individual to do. And I am constructing the outcomes. I'm constructing new behavior. And for every complex behavior, what I'm going to look at are the component skills that are needed to teach that complex behavior. So I'm not going to take a linear direct approach to some of the, to many of the things that we want to teach. Instead, I'm going to look at what are all the component skills. And of course, the trailer loading is the easiest way of thinking about that. So in, the, in a direct approach, you have a horse that's a reluctant loader. You take the horse to out to the trailer and you with targeting and you know you begin to see if you can get the horse to put a foot on the trailer ramp and another foot and so on. And in the uh, constructional training, you look at the trailer and you say, okay, trailer's made up of many skills that this horse needs to understand. He needs to be comfortable going uh, under um, overheads and through narrow uh, spaces and going up onto platforms. He needs to understand basic leading and you know all of these things that we teach before you go to the trailer. 
And the same thing would be, I would, I would say in terms of what you're describing with the cues, you know, I want my horse to uh, understand these different uses of targeting. Well, let me take this, that constructional approach of what I would like my horse to do with this target in this context is, now how do I go about teaching that? How do I teach that behavior? And what I will end up with are what may appear to be a set of rules that we have developed for this. It's always a study of one. So for this individual, this is how he is going to relate to targets. Now, it may be that I've taught the same, gone through, used the same, sim, a similar teaching process for 10 other horses. So it can seem like, oh, this is, this is sort of the universal rule of targets, but it's not. It's still arbitrary and I could change it. Mm. And the next horse that you, you have, you might decide, well, actually, what I would like him to do when he sees a stationary target is to back away from it instead of approaching it. You know, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, and I can teach that. And do it. so, it, and that may over time look like it's a set of rules for that individual, but I've gone through a teaching process. Mm -hmm. I, do, I don't know whether that, I don't know how that relates to what you were trying to, or what you wanted to explore. Well, I think we've, we've covered quite a lot. For me, it, it was more about the, necessity for the trainer to think about those things before they go out to teach it so that they are consistent in their teaching. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, some people may do it just in their heads. Um, I know I like to write it down. It helps me um, to go in all the various directions and you know, again, for me, the filming, course, the stimulus control and the filming, for me, it's a good marriage. Yeah. I think that I see a lot of things that I don't get when I, when I take video, when I say filming, I shouldn't say that. It's a video that, you know, especially trying to pick up what the horse is using, what information the horse is using is, I don't always see it uh, during right. my training. It's as though you have gained a coach when you use video mm. uh, because there are things that you can't see. You know, you're, the camera is, is set back from, from your position. So it's got a different perspective from, your, from uh, what you are able to see when you are working a horse, whether you're in close or you're working at a distance, the camera will have a, a different perspective. So there will be things that you see as you go through the video that you think, oh my goodness, <laughs> mm -hmm. is that? But I think sometimes also, especially if you've not taught a particular behavior mm. or line of you know, sequence before, you don't always know what, you know, what, how things are going to unfold or what you want. You're sort of taking it on faith that oh, I'm supposed to teach my horse to go stand on a mat, but you've never taught mat work before. So you don't know all the questions that that particular path is going to present. Um, well, you know what I was describing with Woody and you know how he likes to target with his hind hand? Yeah. Bonanza would never do that. 
you know, it's, it's nor with Picot. And, and I haven't taught the other two. Um, you know, I've taught them to back up, but not to come to the hand the way, because Woody um, comes from a reigning lineage. So yeah. it's just something he enjoys to do uh, and that he's built to do, I suppose. But also um, there's, there is a learning history in there. There is, there is so, obviously, yeah. You know, there's a definite learning history. And so yeah, obviously each each horse will will come up with something different for many reasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fengor does a uh, when when um, when I get to the barn, if he's down by the gate, he'll back his his way to back to the barn. I didn't, he enjoys doing that. I did not deliberately set out to to say to him. I want you to back up while I walk forward to the barn. In right. fact, if anything, he, if, he came if, up with that. He came, he, so, but if I traced it back, I would, you know, no doubt see what mm. the origin of that was and how it got gradually reinforced and, and until it became, there are many contexts in which Pengor will back up. It's a handy behavior to have. It can be a nuisance behavior. Well, to have. sometimes too, yeah, but sometimes it will tell you too how much duration your horse can give you because you know there are times when Woody does this and I'm thinking I would never yeah. have asked him so yeah. much. Yeah. You know, he can do a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and and so, so I you know when I'm saying give them credit, why I find that sometimes I don't give them enough credit to discriminate, to do duration. I I don't expect enough um, and sometimes they show me that I should expect more, yeah. that they can uh, do more. Yep. And the other piece in that, when you said, you know, when he turned, he, he backed up in this really complex way that you would never have thought of, you know, that's one of the things that I love is when you see ideas, you know, when the, when the horse shows you some creative variation I know. that, that you would never have thought of. Mm. And when we understand the generative nature of creativity, where you, you know, you put in the repertoire and then uh, the individual who's been given behavior A, behavior B, behavior C, and then combines them into behavior ABC that you might never, never have thought of before. Mm. I mean, it's just really fun. It's really fun. And then, you, you know, if I wanted to do like a double figure eight, with him backing towards me and I change, I keep changing the direction, he would gladly do it. Wow. You know, there's a point. Yeah, yeah. If, if yeah. I, I could do a double eight and he would just continue to to aim at me with his butt and, and back up. It's I wouldn't do it that much because I there's a point where I think, you know, too much yeah. is is probably not yeah. good. But it's kind of funny. And I it was kind of his idea, you know, to target me like that. And I picked it up only on the video in the beginning. And then I started playing with it, you know, yeah. um, um, consciously. But yeah, it's interesting so what it, they can come up with. <laughs> it's like Panda Catch, you know, which is a game that, I, you know, we would always describe it as it's a game that Panda invented, where you've got two people in an arena and Panda runs to one to the uh, person, the first person, uh, dashes behind the person and then comes up 
next to that person just slams on the brakes and uh, is in perfect heel position, gets clicked, gets reinforced, and then she dashes off at a full gallop. You know, she looks like a little miniature barrel horse and she zooms across to the next person, gets to the second person, zooms around behind them, puts herself in perfect heel position, gets clicked and reinforced, and then gallops off in the opposite direction. She's the one that added speed. Mm. No, I, it's just, oh, okay. You want to do it at a gallop? We'll take it. Right, because it no. makes it even more spectacular. She added, she added the, the zoom around and, and then you know, lock in next to the side. You know, and Which she, was a, a well-reinforced, grown-up-are-talking position. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it so. all, you can see all the components mm. in her repertoire. Mm-hmm. And particularly the coming into the heel position as part of mm. the guide work. It was all in repertoire. And mm. she showed us that you know you could have this just amazing game. I've mm. got an incredible video of her where we took her up into the top field, which is a very long s- space. And we have a person at either end of this very long space. And Panda is zooming back and forth from one person to the next. And what's interesting, she's doing this over grass. Mm. And this is not a horse who gets turned out on grass. She gets hand grazed, but because Mm. of her lifestyle and because of her digestive system, she's not turned out to graze. And so there she was on this carpet of grass Mm. and she she preferred to play her panda catch game (laughs) rather than say, oh, forget you people. Mm. I'm going to eat grass. It was extraordinary. Mm. But then, of course, what you see is, oh, this is a very cool behavior. Let me go teach it to other horses. So what is the repertoire? What are the component skills that these other horses need to have in order to begin to replicate panda catch? Mm -hmm. So you you can look at something like with Woody. He shows you, well, horses can do this. (laughs) And, and you might not have thought that horses could do this, but now that you've seen it, what are the components that you need to teach so that you, so that you can have uh, similar behavior in other horses? The pose is another great example of that. You know, it's funny because my farrier said to me the, the other day that he, he thought Woody was more subtle in the back. And I thought, mm, I wonder if there's a, a link between the two. Because, you know, a lot of the time he does need to step under him. And, yeah. and we know that's good exercise because yeah. depending on where my body is, it's either straight back up or he has to flip on one side. And then I always do it on both sides. There's one side where he's more subtle than the other. But, um, and now we're kind of doing, you know, we're doing it with all four. So, you know, if I put my hand in front and the other hand, he can kind of laterally move side pass, if you like, um, laterally really easily. But his favorite is moving the hind end for sure. Um, but anyway, so it, it, it seems, you know, I'm careful that he doesn't harm himself. So, right. but he can do it for a long time. And cues can become wonderfully, wonderfully subtle. You know, so there was yeah. uh, 
there was one stretch, a game that I played with Robin where I wanted to see what he was really using as his cues. And it was in the middle of winter, so, and it was a cold winter. So I had on a lot of layers. You know, you have the, the parka and the polar fleece and more polar fleece and more layers. And, you know, it's just, um, and, and I'm, and I've, and I'm working Robin at Liberty and I'm trying to figure out well, what actually is this is significant to him. Mm-hmm. And, and so I've got all of these hand gestures that, that I use, uh, you know, and what I discovered is that it's all just the hand gestures were just window dressing as far as uh, Robin was concerned. They, they might've helped me to stay clear about what it was that I was asking him to do, but he, what he was responding to were, uh, changes in muscle tension of my abdominal muscles. Okay. That's pretty subtle. That's pretty subtle, especially when you consider all the uh, layers you had over. And and you know, and I could test it. So I, you know, I thought, okay, well let me test that. Oh you can test it. Yeah, you can test it. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find out what is it that you are responding to. Mm -hmm. And then if I want to have him what if I want to say well, what I'd really like you to do is respond to this hand gesture, you know, this big overt thing, rather than this incredibly subtle thing, then, you know, that's just a transferred cue process. But it's, it was really interesting. You, know, you start out by saying, look at the discriminations that horses can make. And what Robin was, was showing me is that uh, we could refine this down, this, this level of communication down to these incredibly subtle discriminations. You know, in the case of Woody, because in the beginning he was clearly responding to the cue of my hand, meaning come towards. Yeah. But this is evolving and it's evolving in a direction that I'm not necessarily liking. Whereas if my body, now it's just the position of my body. If my body is going towards his butt, he'll think I'm going to target her. And I don't want this. So I want it. I want my hand to be the cue. And now he's starting to move it to something I'm not liking. So you are describing the the classic, I don't know whether I want to call it the dilemma, but this is the, the process of the horses will always shift the get ready, get set, go. So there is an anticipation and we'll take it, we'll take it to something that people can probably visualize. I slide down a lead, okay? So I'm gonna slide down a lead and I'm working with a horse that's not fair, that, that's fairly new to the whole process. And so I'm gonna slide all the way down to the snap and, and have this subtle shift in my balance. And the horse is, is gonna shift his balance in response and, and I will click and reinforce. And as we repeat this, uh, I can slide down the lead and the horse will start to back up. This is great. So I slide down the lead and what the horse is now learning is that what I want is for him to back up. So I start to slide down the lead. He sees my, and feels my hand coming. He sees the shift in my body orientation. There is a lot of information that I am providing to him that says, 
what I want is for you to back up. And so he begins to back up and I, and I haven't had to go all the way to the snap. I've just started down the line. Maybe I've gone an inch or two from the snap and he's beautifully responded to me. And I think this is great. My horse is getting so much more responsive. He's getting so much lighter. I really like this. And so I click and I reinforce that. And then I start to slide down the lead again. And, and I'm providing a lot of information about what it is that I want. Um, there are a lot of clues there that are evolving into cues, some of them intentional and deliberate on my part, and some of them I'm oblivious to because I'm a human and I'm oblivious to a lot um, because that's the nature of, of humans compared to what, what horses notice. So I slide partway down and my horse backs up even sooner. And I think this is great. And I reinforce him for anticipating my request because he's getting lighter. So the process goes on and now I just start to slide down and he's backing up and I think, look at how beautifully light he is. I just whisper down the line and he's backing up. I just move my fingers a little bit along the line and he's backing up. I just think about thinking about backing and he's backing up. I just think about thinking about back. Oh, wait a minute, could you wait for me? <laughs> so we get to a point where we're saying, wait a minute, could you wait for me? I was, I was thinking about thinking about thinking about asking you to back up and you're already backing up and it's, ah, I can't, I can't deal with it. Mm -hmm. So at some, and that's really what you're, that's the, that, that's the path that you're on. Mm -hmm. And at some point you get to a place where you say, wait a minute, <laughs> I need you to wait. Yeah. So now I have to teach, wait. You know, right. wait for me to, to say, you know, here, let's, can I, I'm going to stabilize my get ready, get set here. Now this is go. But does that mean you put a little, you put him a little bit in extinction? If you want to teach him to wait? Micro extinction, is it? You don't have to. Because so, let's continue with your example of the lead rope, because it's easy to visualize. So you start and he's already backing up. So what so do what, you do? So what you, you know, in, in a sense, it's the same thing that we talked about with the target, where I don't want my horse to touch a target. I want him to approach the target. Mm -hmm. So I could begin by saying, okay, have I established grownups are talking? So I'm just standing and grownups are talking. And my horse understands that. So if I'm stationary, he understands grownups are talking. So now I'm going to teach basically a grand time. I'm going to say, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to explore, can you stand still while I take a breath? Yes, click and treat. Mm -hmm. uh, can you stand still? while I wiggle my fingers a little bit. Yes. Click and treat. Can you stand nice. still while yeah. I move my hand <laughs> slightly down the lead rope? Yes, click and treat. So I'm reteaching. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. And you use the momentum of, of yeah. this too that you yeah. 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 Teaching process. Mm -hmm. you know? 
and it's it and it's recognizing that it's it, you're swinging a pendulum you're always swinging a pendulum because it goes back to that whole question of consistency and we want our horses to get light we want our horses to be responsive to us we want woody to respond promptly and quickly and eagerly and happily but in doing that the get ready get set go may shift hmm. yeah and and that's a natural process that's going to occur in the ballet that is work in hand that's where that clarity comes in in terms of how am I going to use this where do I need to set the punctuation where do I need the to set the and could you wait and have I taught wait yeah you know so if I've not taught wait for every behavior that you teach there is an opposite exercise you must teach to keep things in balance so I need to teach wait yeah and sometimes I guess it's okay to explore a little bit because I, for a moment there, I thought, this is fun. I want to see yeah. where this is going. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I filmed it. I looked at it. I explored it. I let him. And I was always looking for what is he, you know, what's his trigger? What's his cue? But the other day when I was teaching something else and that came up, I thought, okay. Now I've the, this is right. the end of the exploration. Right. So, uh, I need to really uh, make sure that I'm. If, what is the component skill that I need to put in place to avoid conflicting one request with another, mm. or where where the backing up has become such a dominant choice on Woody's part that. He's shifting to it, shifting to it, shifting to yeah. it versus uh, saying, oh, well, let me go do this other thing. So, you know, what are the component skills that I need to put in place that I didn't need to, to have prior to this? Because mm -hmm. I might, you know, until you need weight, you might not think to teach weight. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot. Well, of like you said, it was great that he responded so promptly before yeah, to the absolutely. hand signal so it was wonderful it was yeah. like eager and very fluent but it it evolved yeah it continued you know, to evolve it continues to evolve and then as it evolves what is revealed is, the, is that you is, need a weight is the next is so the horses will always tell us what they need to work on next so as a behavior evolves you see what is it that i need to work on next what do i need to teach next so that well, i keep it's things stimulus in balance control it is stimulus control well, isn't it it's it is or you could say what is so because um, weight weight is is a behavior control. no weight is a behavior yeah it's so a behavior. weight is a behavior because an animal cannot do nothing an animal, we can, unless we're dead, we're doing something. Mm -hmm. So doing nothing is doing something. What does nothing look like? So doing, so it's a behavior. When they're doing, when, so waiting is a behavior. And so mm -hmm. how do you establish, I want this versus that? You teach behaviors 
in pairs or you teach with a base behavior. So you teach, you know, wait, now you can back up, now you can mm -hmm. go forward, now return to your base behavior. So, you know, what is the pair or what's the triplet? That yeah, sometimes we, it, we, yeah. So, you know, like you do, put do that you, under the umbrella of contrast training. It's another you, way of saying yeah, it. Do you have, do you have a base behavior that you can return to? So, which gives you thinking time. So you said, you know, when you're training, you have all these questions, but you, you don't have time to answer them. Well, sometimes, you know, being able to go into grownups or, you know, go, let's go, let's go stand on a mat. <laughs> We're standing on a mat. I'm just clicking and reinforcing you for grownups. It's a known behavior. It's an easy behavior. While we're doing this, I can be my head can be spinning in a hundred different directions to come up with some answers to those questions, and and the answer may be go have a cup of tea. <laughs> you know that may be the answer. Go have a cup go of do tea. a podcast with Alex and discuss. Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. So so what is you know do you have a base behavior, and do I have the teaching in pairs? Do I have a contrast. So for every behavior you teach, there is an opposite behavior you must teach to keep things in balance. When I swing the pendulum back and forth between uh, what am I, what am I swinging the pendulum back and what are those behaviors? So, you know, if I, if I have a horse who's really stuck, I'm not going forward, I may spend a lot of time reinforcing go forward. Mm -hmm. And we see this with people who go trail riding. So they've had a horse that they've had trouble getting the horse to go forward. So they work on forward, 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 and they celebrate because the horse is now going forward and they mm. go out for a trail ride. Yeah. And then they get, they, they turn for home and they suddenly realize, oh, I never taught stop. Oh, well, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> I guess my horse will stop when he gets back to the barn, I hope, <laughs> you know, right. so. The horses always show us what needs to be presented, what needs to be taught. So Woody may be saying, what I need is that base behavior, the stabilizing effect of a base behavior so that you can then say very clearly, now I would like you to go into the backing behavior. Mm -hmm. Now I would like you to stand still now I would like you to go into the backing behavior. And there are contexts there too, because if Absolutely. I'm in the shower stall and I'm near his butt, he's just standing there because yeah. we're doing, Absolutely. you know. Yeah, so there's a context in the, in the arena right. that brings up this behavior right. um, that I need to contrast with something else, the weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and to recognize that there is a context and to, you, you know, to leverage that when uh, uh, Robin knows how to retrieve and, and he likes retrieving. So when I want to work uh, to set out a circle of cones, we always play this game of as I'm setting out the cones, Robin is picking them up and bringing them to me. Mm -hmm. and, and it's very cute you know it's cute I, at the end of the session but not oh, at it's, the beginning. it's very it's very cute at the beginning too because he, he <laughs> he's handing them to me with this sort of I think you dropped something <laughs> and how can you resist that so I don't I click and I reinforce him but okay. it's a game of can I get the cone set 
out faster than he can retrieve them. Because as soon as it's a complete circle, he stops he retrieving. Goes, okay. Okay. And then we can do our training session. And he doesn't, he ignores the cones as, as retrieving objects. And then when right. we get all done, he picks them up for me. Well, maybe this whole time he was just training you to be quick. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> I, he just wanted, want to get... <laughs> he wanted to start lunging around the cones and he thought you weren't quick enough. And That's so he right. thought, I'm going to train her yeah. to become quicker. <laughs> yeah. So they, I mean, they can, we can have this flexibility and it comes, I think, in part because what, for me at least, what I'm really having is a conversation with my horses. And it's an evolving conversation. It's an evolving conversation. And if I see it, keeps, it heading... It, it, it changes over time. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, on, so this morning, uh, it's funny how this, you know, these things, these topics come up. So I've been taking the, when I clean in the morning, I've been putting the, what I, the wet shavings and the manure into uh, plastic uh, totes, those, those flexi uh, buckets that doesn't matter. They're, they're just buckets. And because I've been taking it all home to my house for the garden. Okay. It's eccentric. But, you know, if you can't be eccentric in, uh, in a pandemic, then, you know, when can you be eccentric? Mm -hmm. um, so, and it's, it's, I have these four buckets. I put them in the wheelbarrow. I go out and clean. Well, Robin this morning decided that he really should pick up one of the buckets and hand it to me. How big is it? It's fairly, it's big, you know, it's a big size bucket. I mean, they're- Okay, and it was full. Was no, it full or empty? It it had oh, nothing in okay. it. But I looked at that and I thought, no. <laughs> that is, that is, that's gonna be a disaster. Because this you one did not like, like the future of that behavior. I did not like the future of that <laughs> behavior. And so that got redirected. You know, I redirected him out of that right away, right away, because okay. I could just see that that was going to be, you know, I love having him retrieve. I would, I love that he wants to be in there with me engaging in games, but we have other games that we can play and, but retrieving that particular object, no, we're not going to go down that route. So yeah, the best time to correct or to extinguish a behavior is before it even happens yes, or, yes. or the first time it yes. happens. And you do not reinforce it. <laughs> it, was, it was so tempting for me to, because they're, uh, they're the same colors as the objects that we do color, you know, so it would have been really fun to include, you know, pick up the, the blue bucket or pick up the red bucket. But so there was a very fast conversation in your brain. Yes. That ended with no way. No way. No, no way this is no way we're going down that avenue. That's right. That's right. Mm. So, you know, so he's not going to be mommy's little helper on that. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't reinforce it. What did you redirect it to? Um, I redirected him into uh touching left and right okay so i so let's see if there's a chain coming so I up took the, well i pick up the that. big bucket do you did a pause i, there? I, I did a pause 
I definitely put a pause in. Mm -hmm. and, and so we'll see. He did not attempt to pick it up again. So hopefully we dodged that bullet. We'll see. You know, when we say things evolve over time, for so many years, I had a chain going on with Canel in my backyard that was totally within what I wanted it to be. Um, you know, where she would bark for something, I would call her, she would come to me. And we did this for years and years and years. And it was always under good control. And, you know, I enjoyed it. And, and all of a sudden, it became out of control. She was barking for me. She was oh. barking to do the chain. And I kept thinking about, you know, when Susan, we were one day in one of our podcasts with Dr. Susan Friedman, um, we were talking about unwanted behavior. And one of the questions that she was um, suggesting we could use to help us found solution was, how would I train that? Oh, you know, yeah. yeah how would you train that? Yeah. And so all of a sudden, you know, Canel was starting to bark quite a lot. And I thought, how would I train that? And the answer was exactly what I was doing. <laughs> I would train it exactly the way I had been training it for many, many years. And in the beginning, it was a deliberate chain. You know, I knew that I was on a slippery slope, but it was a choice I made. And it was always, like I said, very viable, very, it was okay. Yeah. But it was no longer okay. And so I, what I did was I decided, and it was kind of hard for me, but we had discussions about that too. I decided to, that it was okay for me to take her inside when she would bark, meaning this was kind of positive. I, I was taking away the enrichment. So yeah. let's call it negative. I, I, because no, it was positive punishment or negative punishment because mm -hmm. I wanted to extinguish a behavior and I was taking something away, which was the enrichment of being outside. And so I had to do this maybe not a lot. Like I'm talking literally a day or two taking her inside. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I would take her inside actually on the porch. So she wasn't completely inside. And then I would wait 15 minutes and put her back in the backyard and it stopped. Hmm. You know, it was, it was the shortest, easiest training wow. I've ever done for such a, it was reinforced for a long time, this behavior, yeah. you know, and and what it showed me was that I was teaching, and I knew, again, I knew it was a chain, but it just became so obvious that this, which had become an unwanted behavior, was the fruit of my own training. Yeah. And the minute I stopped reinforcing it, because there were two things actually happening. I was taking her inside, but I was also no longer reinforcing the barking because I used like I said I would I would call her when she was barking oh. call her give her a treat and I tried you know putting a pause I tried asking for other behaviors in between so that the chain would not be the reinforcer would not touch the barking so much 
that there would be lots of stuff in between that in my mind, I was reinforcing the touch right and left and do this yeah, and yeah. that. But in her mind, it was a change and I was reinforcing the barking. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and it was like, oh my God, I've, tr it was, so every time, you know, we think, oh, Shetland, of course they're natural barkers. No, 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 no. I have been training her to bark. Yep. And when I ask myself, how would I teach this behavior? And I look at what I've been doing. I would do it exactly, exactly this way. So this question, how would you teach that when you're in face of an unwanted behavior is a great question. Yes. But anyway, all this to say that hopefully you have not created a chain of pick up the bucket, touch left That's and right. right. You will see that over time. <laughs> yes. Well, I will see it very quickly. And, yeah, you will. and you'll uh, see it tomorrow morning, maybe. I will see it tomorrow morning, in which yeah. case I will come up with a different strategy. Right. Because right. that is uh that is not something that that I want. But it is, you know, it is very much the layers of training, you know, core belief system leads to principles, leads to the how-tos. And the core belief system so for true. me is that horses are intelligent beings with a rich emotional life. And that sits at my core understanding of horses. And so I have a conversation with them. And that conversation is fluid. It's flexible. It is built around understandings that have evolved over time. It allows them greater freedom. You know, as that conversation develops, uh, they have a much more enriched life um, because of the training that has occurred. And that I am responsive to their needs. I am responsive to their behavior. So when I see something that is heading in a direction that could become a problem, I want to address it sooner rather than later um, because it's much easier when it's a little thing versus a big thing. And since horses are big, behavior is- But you know what? It's normally I, because my- bias is to the needs of the animals very often come before my own that's more of my bias that's yeah. where I'm coming from so we had these conversations in the past podcasts and some of them where we said both needs should be addressed yeah. my need and my animals needs and this was something that I would not have given myself, you know, I would not have allowed myself to do to consider that maybe it was okay to use in this case. And, and just so people understand when I'm talking negative punishment here, I'm talking about I have no, no harsh movements at all. I go down the stairs, I put her collar on very softly. I put the leash on. I don't say a word. I go up the stairs. I unclip the leash. I go in the house. There's no door shutting like I'm mad. There is nothing in my behavior that shows I'm angry. Yeah. So it's negative punishment because I'm aware I'm taking away the enrichment of the, of the, the, the yard. Mind you, this evolved. Whereas uh, a few uh, days later, it was almost like I came, was coming down and 
you know, it was like, okay, let's go up the stairs. No, but something worked because she stopped barking. Yeah. You know, completely. She completely stopped barking. But it was good for me because to have those conversations and think, you know, in certain instances, it's all right. She would have become a neighbor nuisance, a nuisance yes. for my neighbors, yep. which at some point would have meant I would have had to cut her freedom to be in the backyard. Yes. Whereas now she's in the backyard all day again. Uh, of course, I have a fenced in backyard, uh, and, but she's not barking. And so she has more freedom because yeah. I went through a little tiny session of negative punishment or extinction or a mix of both, whatever it was that happened there. And now I'm happy and she's happy. Yeah. So, and it, it really was because we had those podcast conversations huh. that I allow myself to use this quadrant, which... For me, it was kind of, mm, no, you don't take the cell out of the teenager's hand. That's too harsh. <laughs> you, know? you don't do that. That's coercive or that's not. There has to be a way to, to build it. And so, I don't know, it worked. Um, so it's good to have that, I think, yeah. option. And I know because I know who I am that I will not escalate you know, because my bias is kind of the opposite. But isn't that the point of being solidly grounded in an ethical and aware of your ethical formation so that you can, with understanding and knowledge and education, you can use a variety of techniques Mm. appropriately. That's what Ken Ramirez talks about with, you know, when he's talking about the trainers uh, that he works with, worked with at the Shed Aquarium, that a beginner trainer, they're allowed to chop fish, as it were, and they can observe the trainers. And then they're, you know, they are uh, very constrained in terms of uh, some of the techniques that they can use. But his advanced trainers, you know, the full toolbox is available to them but he knows that they're not going to suddenly become, I don't know, dolphin beaters. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. You know, just, it, it was hard for me to go there. Yeah. And yet, you know, it was pretty mild. I mean, but it was hard for me to go there because, you no, know, I want her to have an enriched yeah. life. But I think if you asked her, for her, now that I'm looking at it, it was probably just like, oh, okay, she doesn't want me to bark anymore. She's not reinforcing it anymore. Yeah. I don't know what went through her mind, but it it, it was not. Um, she was not shut down. Yeah. No. So. Funniest thing with the with our two Icelandics, they used to play together with these just mock stallion games, where they would uh, we turn them out, and whether it was in the indoor or out in the paddock, when they were turned out together. They would they would rear up and they'd look like they were you know have one horse will be biting the other horse's neck and big mouth open open yes and and this um, like they're they're just at one another tooth mm-hmm. and nail as it were and yet they would come in without a mark on them right so, right, right so yeah. you know it's and initially when they were playing they would scream. You know, so okay. you have the whole the whole theatrical production, right? They Very dramatic, rearing, and the and of course they're Icelandic, so they have these wonderful manes. So the manes mm. are flying, and they're and they're screaming at one another. And I found the screaming really upsetting. 
because um, it sounded like they, somebody was really being hurt. So I would fling open if they were turned out in the in the indoor and I in the evening and I was doing barn chores and and I would hear this and I would fling open the the um, the the arena door and they would instantly stop and stand <laughs> like two little angels and it's like was well, we weren't doing it we weren't doing anything and and what they learned it was so funny they would learn to play without screaming okay. So there was no screaming. Right. And, and so they could play. I didn't hear them. I wasn't here. But every That's good discrimination. Really good discrimination. But every now and then, one of them would forget and, the, mm. and you know, let loose with a, um, you know, I'm dying here. And I would fling open. It's like, oh, we, we weren't doing anything. We weren't doing anything. And then there would be this silent play. So they are, they are just so good at figuring out the game, figuring out the system. Yeah. And, and altering their behavior in response. Mm. So I don't yeah. know. It's it's endlessly fun and it's endlessly evolving. We can stabilize certain things, so we can set up certain contextual rules. You know, sort of like um, when you're inside, you use your inside voice, and when you're outside, you can scream and run around. Contextual <laughs> rules. So. Mm. With Panda, we always stop at changes in elevation. That's, um, and it's consistent, and that's not something in which there are exceptions. It's 100%. And I think the more certain things are really important, if we're very consistent, we will get clarity. So that we have in our mind sort of a set of, we want to call them rules. When I get to a, a threshold, when I get to a doorway, I will always stop when I'm leading a horse. And then I will have a horse that always stops at doorways. Because, mm -hmm. you know, so there's a value in being consistent, but there's also value, and this is the, you know, that wonderful art of it. There's also value in remembering that it is a conversation and that conversation will evolve over time with the, uh, with Peregrine, there were things that he was allowed to do that when Robin was young, I did not allow, I did not, he did not have the privilege. He hadn't earned that privilege yet. Um, like what? Oh, I'm trying to think, what would it have been? Um, just certain liberties that, that I would have, that I allowed, because I knew that. It would not get out of hand. It would not one. get out of hand. And that you know, that our learning history, that I could allow, mm -hmm. I could allow a little given, I could allow this sort of give and take, and it wasn't going to get out of hand. Mm -hmm. And, and if it does, well, you correct. I would, right. But yeah. with a young horse, I needed to be yeah. uh, a little clearer about the boundaries. It was riskier. Yeah. So, you know, here are the boundaries. Mm -hmm. And now that you have shown me that you understand those boundaries, we can relax them. Kind of like with a teenager, you know, yeah, yeah. here are the boundaries, here are the rules in terms of, I'm going to give you the keys to the family car, mm. but uh, you have to be back in the house by 10 mm -hmm. uh, and no drinking, you know, mm. and then over time you begin to see that he can manage and is responsible, then you allow more freedom. Mm -hmm. I think rules are great, but I want them to have enough flexibility built in that as the conversation evolves, 
that uh, the rules do not become a constraint on that conversation and instead they become something that allows the conversation to become richer. And I guess there are contexts, you know, if you're, if you're, and when I mean, there's situations where if you're on an agility course, you know, you, you want, you want the consistency, you, you, you don't want that conversation. I mean, you know, this, again, when we did our podcast, there are, and and, constraints that an agility course imposes on mm. the behaviors that you're teaching. You know, it's not just go to any obstacle that you feel <laughs> like, dog. It's you're to go you to the, the A-frame. Right. I want you to go to the A-frame, even though the jump is, looks like it's closer to you. You have to make this funny turn and go to the A-frame because that's the course we're on today. There are constraints that are imposed by the agility course. There are constraints if you're training for a dressage test, you know, there will mm. be constraints on the behavior. There are constraints that are imposed when I uh, put a saddle on and climb on top of a horse. You know, there are certain things that I would really prefer that you not do when I'm on your back, Mm -hmm. uh, which would be fine if I'm not on your back. Rolling. Yeah. So there are, you know, context absolutely matters. And what I want, if I'm going to think in terms of rules, I want to make sure that the rules are working for us and don't end up working against us because I'm so intent on following them that I miss some of the conversation or I miss those magical moments when Woody says, let me show you this really cool thing that I can do with my rear end when I'm trying to stay connected to you. Yeah, and then what that then shows you when you go have the cup of tea is this is really cool. Now, what do I need to surround it with for it to continue to be really cool? Mm -hmm. What I may need to surround it with is a teaching process that involves the concept of weight. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I think what we need to do now is to say to people that they have to wait for the next podcast to find out where we go next in our conversations. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. I know for many of you, just getting to the end of 2021 is a cause for celebration. We've been through two years that have upended so many of the norms of our lives. But for those of us who are lucky enough to have horses, the one norm that has remained is the wonder of our horses. There's nothing like a horse hug for bringing some sanity and stability back into a crazy day. So for this start to a new year, I hope you are all able to spend time with your horses. Have fun and come join us in 2022 for more great conversations. Thank you.